Welcome to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett McGarry. This week, while yes, we will delve into some new stuff, sometimes though, you just gotta go back to the old. We'll tell you about our rewatch of what remains the best adventure film series to date. Plus, I'm Jeff Braun. I'll review Thor Love and Thunder, the Space Vikings' latest adventure, and we'll take a look at the Emmy nominations. Plus, Better Call Saul returned this week to begin its stretch run into its series finale, and whoa, what a start. But first, Thor is back with Love and Thunder. There's a maniac who seeks to end us all. We must do something. I'm putting together the greatest team ever. Cold. He's my best friend. Yes. Valkyrie. We get to fight again. <laughs> the Guardians. Give me those. And Jane, the old ex-girlfriend. Judy Foster. Jane Foster. <laughs> you are not like the other gods of kill. <laughs> Thor Love and Thunder. Witty PG-13. Tickets on sale now. Thor is back for his fourth solo adventure in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, although none of these adventures are really solo adventures at this point. All the movies with returning characters tend to have a few tag-alongs, at least for part of it. So no spoiler to say the Guardians of the Galaxy are in this movie for a little bit. That's in the trailers. But the most noteworthy returnee is Natalie Portman, who was in the first two Thor movies and then had an incredibly small part in Avengers Endgame. We really haven't seen her since Thor The Dark World. She's back, and there's a lot to catch up on. The movie uses the device of Korg, Thor's alien friend who's made out of rocks and voiced by director Taika Waititi, telling stories to a group of kids, and he offers up these quick recaps with his narration over flashbacks of things we've either seen or new footage of things we haven't seen to catch the audience up on where the characters have been the last little while. And that's probably good news for whomever may be in the audience that hasn't seen a Thor or Avengers movie. I'm sure there must be a few. I suppose if you are going to have an ongoing saga like this, you do have to do these kinds of things to catch people up. As it turns out, there's more going on with Natalie Portman's character than you may be expecting. There's a whole arc with her and Thor and the possibility of rekindling their old flame that I thought was the highlight of the movie by far. I wasn't expecting that at all, really. I don't know why, I guess... From the trailers and commercials, you should have expected it to be some to that to some degree, but it was uh, more than I was expecting. Um, you know, we know from the trailer that she's also somehow become a Thor herself, wielding his hammer Molnir and kicking butt. So she and Thor and Korg and Valkyrie, played again by Tessa Thompson, have to fight the new baddie in this one, Gore the God Butcher, played by Christian Bale. And the movie opens with his origin story. It's simple, effective to the point as far as introducing a new bad guy and getting to why he is the way that he is. This was the best way to do it. And uh, Christian Bale, as you would expect, is just excellent at playing a bad guy. The whole movie is actually pretty good at setting up the stakes and the motivations and just getting to the point. The movie comes in under two hours. It's probably only an hour 45 if you take out the lengthy credits and the post-credit scenes. And, you know, that's rare for a movie the, movie these days. It was very welcome. I, I don't know if I'm brainwashed or something, but I, I did think that there were probably a few scenes they could have added to explain some of the details along the way. But for years, I've complained that modern movies are too bloated and explain things that don't need explaining. So now a movie finally does what I want. And I'm like, hey, why didn't they show how this and that happened? You know, that's brutal on my part. But it did feel a little messy story-wise at times, I will say. On the other hand, if you like the humor of uh, Thor Ragnarok, that's back big time here. 
In fact, I think it's uh, quite a bit sillier and goofier at times than Ragnarok was. And you might even, you know, get a little whiplash from this movie shifting from the pure comedy to a much darker tone when gore is around killing people. I like the laughs and somehow Russell Crowe, who shows up here playing Zeus, he might be the funniest guy in the movie. He has a small part and there are a lot of um, his, his isn't a cameo. It's a small part, but there are a lot of cameos as well. Uh, some are, you know, people that showed up in other Thor movies. I don't want to spoil any of that. Some are just faces it was nice to see again. And some are, you know, pure comedy and they just kill it. I don't think there's anything as exciting for audiences as what the latest Spider-Man and the Doctor Strange movies gave us as far as fan service goes. And if both of those movies, you know, didn't do much in the way of advancing the overall MCU story, this one does even less somehow. If you've never seen this, if you never do see this movie, it won't hamper your ability to follow along with whatever uh, they may be building to in the MCU. And that still doesn't really appear to be anything. Again, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Certainly we've been conditioned for it, though, because, I mean, you know, Iron Man 1 was its own thing. But after that, we got word that they were working towards an Avengers movie. So then Captain America and Thor and Iron Man 2 were the standalone movies that also had crossover moments, usually just in the post credit stingers. But still, it was kind of forward momentum for a larger story. And after that first Avengers movie, they kept adding guys and the stingers had Thanos stuff in them. And it was clearly all building towards what would eventually become Infinity War and Endgame. And since then, there's been six movies and six TV series, and they haven't really produced any sort of a through line, as far as I can tell. Just seems odd. I get, I, you know, they've hinted at a Young Avengers thing with a lot of the new younger characters, especially in the TV series. And I know immediately trying to top Endgame would be just ridiculous, but it sometimes feels, you know, more ridiculous to be this deep into Phase Four and just have it all kind of feel so shapeless still. I just think it's weird because I keep going into these movies thinking, okay, something major that'll jolt the overall story will happen today and then come out thinking, well, that was a fun adventure, but I have no idea where this MCU is headed. Not really a complaint, just a different MCU than what we had, especially from, say, uh, Captain America Civil War through Endgame. Although I will say in the finale of uh, Miss Marvel this week, there was one line that might hint at something big coming down the pike in the MCU. So we'll have to see. That might be what it's all about. Who knows? As for Love and Thunder, it is a fun romp. And it's, you know, just great to see the God of Thunder lighting it up once again. A lot of fun. Three and a half couch cushions out of five for Thor, Brett. All right. I got to try to see that this weekend. And I completely forgot about Ms. Marvel. I think I've only watched. No, I have only watched the first episode. So I guess I've got five of those to, to watch. Was Ms. Marvel worth it? It was worth it. I, I really enjoyed that show. I think part of the enjoyment for is just like the perspective you have going in because she's an unknown character to us played by an unknown actress to us. All the other MCU movies on Disney plus have either been uh, big returning characters like, um, like Hawkeye or whatever. And Loki. And of course, uh, Captain Soldier or Captain Soldier, Winter Soldier and Captain <laughs> America and Wanda and Vision, you know, or else it was something like Moonlight, Moon Knight, which was uh, a new character, but that move that show had Oscar Isaac and Ethan Hawke in it, big name stars, right? And this one doesn't have a big name character or really a big name stars in it. So I, I think you just go in sort of expecting less. And also because she's a teenager, you sort of think, oh, it's, you know, we're at the kids' table for the MCU. So. I think it, it's easier to beat expectations when you go in like that than when you go into something like, remember how hyped we were for Captain America and the Winter Soldier show, and then it just didn't live up to expectations. So it's a different, you know, the barometer set a little differently. So I, I thought Miss Marvel was a terrific show from beginning to end. It's uh, Again, like all these other shows, it does feel very much like a movie that was 
sort of expanded into six episodes. All right, I will tackle that this weekend. And speaking of this weekend, so Thor, Love and Thunder came out this past weekend. Here's what's new in theaters this weekend. Lots to choose from. New in theaters this week, we'll start with a cartoon called Paws of Fury, The Legend of Hank. Why do you want to be a samurai? I lived in a bad part of town full of bad dogs. Everybody always picked on me. I thought if I could be a samurai, it would change everything. Hank is a dog in a town full of cats. There's a bad guy who wants to wipe the town out, so they need a hero. Hank seeks to become a samurai and asks for help from a legendary trainer voiced by Samuel L. Jackson. What the motherfucker cocker spaniel's going on here? Next up, Mrs. Harris goes to Paris. There's no better time. I'll find every penny scrubbing through. What you going to do? To follow your dreams. I'm gonna buy a dress from Paris. Based on the best-selling novel from 1958 about a British housekeeper whose dream is to own a Christian Dior dress. So she takes the plunge and goes on an adventure in Paris. Looks the master himself, Monsieur Dior. You just like my milkman. <laughs> Next up, Where the Crawdads Sing, adapted from a best-selling novel. In fact, one of the best-selling books of all time. It came out in 2018 and has sold 12 million copies. It's a murder mystery set in the marshlands of North Carolina. Call me the Marsh Girl, the one who grew up in the wild. You're buying lonesome out there. The record-breaking global phenomenon arrives in theaters. He's not good enough for you. You're the one who left me. Every creature does what it must to survive. And finally, this movie looks adorable. Marcel the Shell with Shoes On, about a one-inch tall shell who lives with his grandmother Connie and decides to head out to try to find his family of shells. Do you think they could be out there? Let's forget about being afraid. Just take the adventure. So lots to pick from this weekend, and in a moment we are going to sniff through the Emmy nominations which came out this week. You are listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff, he's Brett, and it's time to talk about the Emmys. The nominations came out this week. Here's a look at the top comedy and top drama list. On the drama side, it's all about succession. This life is not for everyone. The HBO series about power and family and backstabbing led all shows with 25 nominations, including top drama, where it's up against Better Call Saul, Euphoria, Ozark, Stranger Things, and first-time nominees Severance, Yellow Jackets, and Squid Game. On the comedy side, Howdy, y'all. Ted Lasso leads all nominees up for Best Comedy against Barry, Hacks, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, Curb Your Enthusiasm, and newcomers Abbott Elementary, Only Murders in the Building, and What We Do in the Shadows. Jason Nathanson, ABC News, Hollywood. Wow, I've actually seen just over half of all those nominated shows. That hasn't happened in a while. I remember a couple of years ago that I hadn't seen any of the comedy nominations and maybe one of the dramas. On the comedy side, I think it's safe to assume uh, Ted Lasso will be the big winner at one last time. Lots of good competition there, though, and I wouldn't have a problem with most of those shows winning, especially my beloved Only Murders in the Building. On the drama side, I think it's safe to assume Succession is the winner, although I think that's less safe than Ted Lasso. Succession, while terrific, is one of those shows that's a little emptier than it appears. It's more of a glorified soap opera than anything. Nothing wrong with that. Yellowstone and Downton Abbey are shows like that too. But besides being terrifically entertaining, the art of it all is a little harder to come by. And that's why I sort of think this might finally be Better Call Saul's year. It's never won anything and it's the final season. So it might just be due. And you only have to look into the acting categories to see a little momentum for Saul because Rhea Seahorn, who plays Kim Wexler, finally got a nomination. 
her first ever, which is crazy. She should uh, have a shelf full of Emmys at this point, I would say. Now, of course, it was Ozark's final season as well, so maybe that'll play into it. But I think uh, the better call Saul Buzz has hit new heights this year. So that would be my pick. Nice to see the Squid Game in there as well. And uh, all I ever hear is good things about that show Severance. I'd like to check that one out. Snubwise. Uh, there was nothing for This Is Us this time, even though that too had its final season. And Blackish was left out of the comedies. That's been nominated most, if not all, of its other seasons. So, so those are some of the highlights in the show categories. Brett, what do you think about them so far? Uh, so far, I need to, well, it's reminding me of shows that I have either been meaning to watch or shows that I need yeah. to get on with. I never did finish. I think I watched one or two episodes of Curb Your Enthusiasm. So those are all just sitting on my PVR. I have been meaning to watch Only Murders in the Building since you started raving about it last year, and now they're into their second season, so I got to get caught up on that before that gets away from me. And I've been meaning to watch What We Do in the Shadows, because that's uh, also a show that you love to watch. Um, Never heard of Abbott Elementary, if I'm being honest with you. And uh, Barry, there's another show that I meant to watch this year, uh, and then when I look at the drama category, I have seen more of those than I have not. I haven't seen Euphoria. My dad loves that show. He says it's really dark and sad, but it's very good. Severance, one of our colleagues, uh, recommended it very highly. That looks pretty cool, and I would like to watch it. And Yellow Jackets, I've heard nothing but outstanding things about that show. So, Boy, oh boy, that drama series, I think that's that's a real hot potato because you can make an argument, I think, for just about every one of these. And, of course, the global smash success of Squid Game is impossible to ignore. I don't think uh, I've ever seen a show grip sort of the collective consciousness as quickly and as ferociously as Squid Game did. So, yeah, there's there's that's going to be a fun one to watch because they're they're all either very good shows or i've heard they're very good shows so curious about that and then as uh, far as the limited series goes so i see there's one called dope sick that's a hulu show but you can watch that one on um, disney plus in canada that's about sort of the the rise of the opioid crisis i believe there's uh, something called the dropout on hulu Inventing Anna on Netflix. That stars uh, Julie Garner from Ozark. Ozark. Yeah, she plays Ruth in Ozark. And uh, this one, uh, it's apparently very good. Pam and Tommy, we both loved that show. That uh, can be seen on Disney+. And The White Lotus, that's an HBO show that you can watch on Crave. I watched two or three episodes of that. It came highly recommended by a couple of people. I just couldn't get into it. I felt like there was something there, but it wasn't grabbing me. And uh, I feel like for a limited series, you really got to grab someone's attention right away. So maybe I'm just the wrong target audience for that, or maybe it just wasn't in the mood. I don't know. There's just so much to watch. And I find that my attention, when I even when I try to settle into something new, I'm distracted by all the other things that I want to watch or all the things that I know that I have to watch. And then I can't decide what to watch, so I end up watching... The Matrix or The Avengers again. I don't know. So any uh, notable snubs for you? I'm just looking at a list of uh, of snubs here. Snubs and surprises. I was happy to see, as you pointed out, Rhea Seahorn got nominated for a Better Call Saul yeah. finally. But uh, any uh, snubs for you? No, just the ones I mentioned already that uh, 
it was weird that This Is Us and Blackish didn't get nominated for anything because they almost always do. But uh, I mean, the yeah, the Rhea Seahorn thing, I was getting all, you know, I was bracing myself to get upset about that, but then she actually got nominated. So that was a big surprise because uh, the, the Emmys have a, just a terrible track record of uh, snubbing things that really deserve it. Like, for example, uh, The Wire one of the best shows of all time that never won an Emmy. It only ever got nominated, I think, for one Emmy Award in its entire run. Jason Alexander as George Costanza, one of the uh, top five all-time great TV characters, never won one. He got nominated a bunch, and to be fair, he did lose like three times in a row to Michael Richards, who played Kramer on the same show, but he also lost to uh, Niles on Frasier a couple of times, David Hyde Pierce. So that, that's a bit harder. At least he was nominated. And then... Uh, um. What's his name? Steve Carell, who played Michael Scott on The Office. He never won an Emmy for that either, and that's insane. He should definitely have. He should have a bunch of Emmys. So, um, so the Emmys historically are, you know, miss the boat a lot of the time. So it's hard to get too upset when stuff doesn't get nominated because they have a just just long track record of not nominating stuff. But hey, we got a bunch of them right this time. So hopefully, uh, we see some. Uh, some good winners uh, in September when the show comes on. All right, looking forward to that. And in a moment, we are going to tell you about something that turned turned out to be a really exciting week for me, and it had to do with something that was from my childhood, at least to start. You are listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brad, he's Jeff. We are The Couch Potatoes, and I got a hankering this week to revisit some classics which prompted Jeff to have the same hankering to revisit said classics. If adventure has a name, it must be Indiana Jones. The Indiana Jones movies. I don't actually have them on Blu-ray, but once I realized the other day they're all on Netflix, what choice did I have? Starting with 1981's Raiders of the Lost Ark. Nearly 3,000 years, man has searched for the lost Ark of the Covenant. The Bible speaks of the Ark leveling mountains and laying waste to entire regions. Not something to be taken lightly. No one knows its secrets. Jones, do you realize what the Ark is? It's a transmitter. It's a radio for speaking to God. An army which carries the Ark before it is invincible. Still a perfect adventure film. Jeff, what did you think? You rewatched this one too. Oh, I did. And you're right. It is a perfect adventure film. Um, and I, I I got all caught up in it all over again when I watched it on Sunday. You texted me that you were going to watch and I was like, that is a good idea. I, I was thinking of, trying to think of something to watch and I was like, oh, Brett just decided for me and I popped <laughs> it in and uh, it just starts and you're just gone and it's just, it's just awesome. The chase near the end where... He's like goes under the truck and then climbs up the back of it and then goes back and then throws the other guy under the truck. That is my favorite part. I think, uh, well, not in any of these movies. It's my second favorite part, I think, in the whole trilogy. I, I love that every time. Yeah, this movie is one of those rare movies that I just fall in love with it all over again every single time. I don't know that I can think of any role, any character that's been more perfectly cast than Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones. And one of the things that's so remarkable about him is the chemistry that he has with everyone on screen in this particular 
film, his primary foil was Marion, and they were wonderful together. And then when we look at the next movie, because I went on to watch from 1984, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Balima. 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 I think I enjoyed Temple of Doom as much as I ever have. And Harrison Ford, Indiana Jones, and Willie, played by Kate Capshaw, they too had electric chemistry on screen. What's your take? I know you didn't rewatch this one this week, but what do you think of the Temple of Doom? Temple of Doom, I, I like the Temple of Doom. It scared me quite a bit as a kid when he rips that guy's heart out or whatever. That freaked me out. All the stuff at the dinner... Uh, at the beginning of the movie is just so gross. It's definitely the grossest, I think, of all these movies. But I do got to say, where well, I mentioned the car chase in uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, the mining cart chase in Temple of Doom is my favorite thing in any Indiana Jones movie uh, by far. I love that so much. I, every time I go to like an amusement park, I was like, why isn't there like a roller coaster based on that Temple of Doom mining cart chase? That would be awesome. And it, you think that thing's just built for a roller coaster to be at the Universal Studios or Disneyland or whoever it would. I guess it was a Paramount movie. So wherever they might uh, do business with uh, theme parks, they should have that. And that and then the rope bridge thing is just awesome. So there's lots of good stuff in the Temple of Doom. Uh, it's not the, it's, you know, obviously not the favorite. I think it comes sort of in uh, third place for most people's rankings of these movies. Yeah, I still still love this movie. I loved it when I was a kid. I uh, And I recognize that these movies, the original three movies, still had visual effects in them, like the end scene of Raiders of the Lost Ark when they crack open the Ark of the Con Covenant. Clearly, there's visual effects. And this one, too, has some visual effects and special effects, like that whole mining car thing. There were a lot of miniatures involved in that. But that was quite the achievement when that first hit the screen. That was just mind-blowing. And it's still fun to watch. Like, I would love to watch these movies again for the first time ever to see how I would view them. Like, is, is much of my enthusiasm just rooted in sentimentality or are they just that good? And I think the answer is maybe a little bit of both, but uh, it's so hard to argue with just how good these movies are. The storytelling and the characters, the supporting actors should also point out as well. I read a quote this week from George Lucas saying he was at the time going through a divorce when they made this movie and Steven Spielberg, so George Lucas is the produ producer, Steven Spielberg, the director, he was going through a breakup. So maybe that's why the movie turned out a little <laughs> a little darker than they planned because they were both miserable, I guess. But Spielberg went on to marry Kate Capshaw and they are still together. So that's pretty cool. Next up from 1989, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. You call this archaeology? The quest for the grail is not archaeology. It's a race against evil. Germany has declared war on the Jones boys. Those people are trying to kill us. I know, Dad! It's a new experience for me. It happens to me all the time. Sean Connery joins the cast as Indy's father in what is maybe not the best movie in the series, but it's easily my favorite. Jeff, what's your take? 
Yeah, uh, it's my favorite too, and I think it's because I saw it in the movie theaters, and it's the only one I saw like when it first came out in the movie theaters, because it's from 1989. By then, I was 13 years old and old enough to go see an Indiana Jones movie, and I rewatched it right after I watched Raiders of the Lost Ark uh, earlier this week, just back to back. And I thought, well, I'll, I'll start the Last Crusade. Maybe I'll skip that first opening. Uh, segment where it's young Indiana Jones played by River Phoenix because that doesn't really do anything for the story of this movie. It's just a fun, uh, you know, these movies all open with a big action set piece and that's what they did for this one. But no, as soon as it started, I had to just keep, I just kept watching it because uh, the stuff on the train with the rhinoceros going through the horning up through the bottom of the or the roof of the car there and almost catching those guys. It was, all that stuff is so much fun. I just like, okay, I'll just watch this whole thing. I'll just go for it. And it, yeah, it's uh. Like you said, it's maybe not the best movie in the series, but it is also my favorite. The ending is its with the, the knight and the grail, and he chose poorly and all that stuff. You just can't top it. It's just a great way to end what should have been the end of the series, because if, this, if they never make Indiana Jones 4 and 5 that they're working on now, uh, this is up there in the conversation for best trilogy ever, I'd say. Yeah, I would agree with that. And yeah, while Raiders has to be the best movie in the series, this one's my favorite just because of the interaction between... Like, Sean Connery was such a wonderful addition to this picture. He, the two of them were just perfect together. And it was so cool to see this character, Indiana Jones, who in the first two movies is just so brazenly confident. But as soon as his dad shows up, like... You see him stand up right and, and say, yes, sir, sorry, sir. Like, he refers to his dad as sir. He clearly is still desperate for his father's approval. And he, no matter what he does, no matter what cool things he does, he can't seem to impress his dad. But it's also clear through as the movie goes on that his dad isn't soulless. He loves his son very much. There are a couple of really emotional moments, like when... He thought that Indiana Jones went over the cliff. That's an amazing moment. And then near the end when Indiana Jones is trying to reach the grail and, and Sean Connery, who always calls him Junior, when he says to him, Indiana, let it go. It just, oh man, I love it. I love it so much. So The Last Crusade is amazing. And I wasn't, I wasn't sure if I was going to bother with this one because I wasn't sure if I could even bring myself to do it. But I did, and you know what? I kind of liked it. Again, from 2008, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Legend says that a crystal skull was stolen from a mythical lost city in the Amazon, supposedly built out of solid gold, guarded by the living dead. Whoever returns the skull to the city temple will be given control over its power. I have admitted this before. When this movie came out, I gave it a glowing review because I was just so pumped to see Indiana Jones in a new story and to see him on the big screen. And you even feel that excitement again when this movie first gets going, even though I only watched these movies days apart, a couple of days apart. You know it's been 20 years in between movies, so seeing them introduce him in their usual kind of mysterious dramatic fashion seeing him get into sticky situations all over again it was fun but not nearly as good as i initially said jeff yeah when's the last time you watched this movie uh i did watch it last year i believe maybe the year before and that was the first time i watched it all the way through since seeing it in the theater i have it on dvd i've started it several times 
and then just like turned it off after 15 or 20 minutes. It was like, no, nope, not into it. And just, uh, but last year I was like, I gotta, I should watch this all the way through one more time. And uh, it, yeah, it's not bad. It's not great though. So uh, you could take it or leave it. Like I said, if they would have dropped it after three, that would have been great. But now this fifth one's coming out. So there's actually possibly a redemption arc coming. Maybe the fifth one will be better than the fourth one. It's not directed by Steven Spielberg, but it is directed by, uh, I'm blanking on his name right now, but he's a good director. He just made a Ford versus Ferrari a couple years ago, and he knows what he's doing as a good director. So, I mean, Harrison Ford turned 80 this year, so I don't know how much Indiana Jones will actually see. Do you think they'll just, like, he'll just hand the baton to someone else, and that'll be it? Like, it'll be Channing Tatum throughout the whole movie? I don't know who's, who's even cast in this thing, but it's, it's hard to believe that Harrison Ford is doing action stuff at this time maybe it's just all stuntman stuff i don't know yeah i don't really know how they're going to handle that but yeah the crystal skull it was a good story it just it didn't have the same emotional heart it didn't have the same stakes like i never felt like our characters were in danger and i know that they but i didn't hate it as much as i anticipated i would i actually quite enjoyed it i didn't even mind shia labeouf when he came around as mutt williams I think there was maybe a little too much of Mutt Williams in this movie, but he wasn't bad. And even the CG overload, like the the swinging through the trees of the monkeys, yeah, it's a ridiculous moment, but didn't look all that bad. Although overall, it's funny that a movie from 2008 looks probably worse than the other three, like because they do use a bit more CG and a bit more green screen. It it looks fake compared to the other three because the other three relied so heavily on practical effects. So I don't know why they made the decisions they made with this particular movie, but it's not horrible. It just doesn't hold a candle to the original three. So hopefully they get it right with the fifth one. And up next, we are going to have a quick recap or look at the return of Better Call Saul. And I know Jeff is excited for a show we've already talked about in the past couple of segments. Details in a moment. You are listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. And one of my favorite comedies is back. Season four of the FX vampire comedy, What We Do in the Shadows. Oh, wow. Look at you. That is the baby Colin Robinson, I assume. I can mold this boy into the most interesting adult there has ever been. He really loves Musical theater. What have the dark lord wrought? This is the big opening of our nightclub. We want the drinks to be very expensive, so then we attract rich humans. Rich humans are basically like veil. Conceptually repulsive, but so buttery on my tongue. My search for a new wife has not been going so great. I am not a creep. I'm just a very ancient warrior who wishes to marry you. Come back! <laughs> Whoops. Cheers! If you've never seen it, what we do in the shadows asks the questions, what if vampires lived among us in modern society, and what if they were really dumb? The mockumentary-style show follows the comic adventures of several vampires, Nandor, Laszlo, and Nadja, who are roommates in this creepy old house on Staten Island in New York City. There's a vampiric council they answer to and sometimes are part of, and generally it's, you know, dumb guy comedy like Homer Simpson. They have a human helper, the poor put-upon Guillermo, who gives a lot of withering glances at the camera like Jim from The Office. He's basically a babysitter for these stupid vampires. It's based on a movie from 2014, 
Green starring Jermaine Clement and Taika Waititi. Then Clement developed it for television, and its fourth season began this week. It picks up a year after the end of season three, which saw the gang for a variety of reasons sort of disband and leave home, and now they've reunited. The end of season three also saw the rather disgusting demise of their other roommate, Colin Robinson, who was an energy vampire. He doesn't drink your blood. He bores you to death, draining your energy and taking it for himself. Now, even though he's technically dead or more dead, given he was already a vampire, he's still on the show because a baby or something burst out of his chest. And now a year later, this thing has grown into a toddler, but it's a taller, a toddler with Colin Robinson's adult head. Uh, it's an unsettling special effect. It's very funny, though, because Laszlo's been trying to raise the boy on his own, and he is certainly unfit for that assignment. There's, that's one of the new wrinkles this year. The, the first two episodes, the early stories have also showed everyone, you know, getting resettled. And then we have Nadja trying to open up a vampire nightclub. And Nandor has been lonely, so he's looking for a wife. They're all back in fine form. I last out loud. Uh, a lot watching those first two episodes. I was a little surprised to see it back already, too, because the last season ran in just uh, September and October, so it's less than a year between seasons. You don't see that a whole lot. So glad to have what we do in the shadows back. And, of course, Better Call Saul came back this week as well. One day we'll, uh, we'll wake up and we'll brush our teeth and we'll go to work, and at some point we'll suddenly realize that we haven't thought about it at all. Uh, what an episode. We don't want to spoil anything here, but it was a banger. And I imagine now that we're really into the end game, five episodes left, we can expect them all to be bangers until the end. And it reinforced what a great decision it was to put the break where they did. Uh, they know that we're all wondering what's going to happen with Kim. So they came up with all this stuff she went through in this last episode to ratchet up that tension, just genius writing. And it has to be because at this point, that is the most important question. And she's the only character left for whom we truly don't know the outcome. Although, of course, we could still see a lot of curveballs for guys like Gus and Mike because we know they are alive in Breaking Bad, but, you know, we don't really know what might happen to them between now and then. So uh, it was great to see Breaking Bad, or Breaking Bad, a better call Saul back for the final stretch run, Brett. Yeah, it was an excellent, excellent episode. I was shocked. I was stunned at how it all played out. It was magnificent. I didn't think they could reach a new level of quality, but they did. I just sat there at the end of it going, holy smokes, that was good. And that's just the first of the final six. What else do they have up their sleeve? So I really can't wait to see how this wraps up. Next week, we are going to count down our best of the year so far. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. Remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother. <laughs>